0: Hello, and welcome to Cape Christian. So great to have you with us today, whether you're here with us or joining us online throughout the week, thanks for making us a part of your week. Who's happy to be in church today, huh? Yeah, all right, good, good. Uh, I'm really excited because we are about to start a five-week series. Uh, Crazy idea we had, let's do a series on Jesus. I know, it's like, how do we come up with this stuff? I know. We're going to do a five-week series, and we're going to do it based off of this book called Who Is This Man?, written by John Ortberg several years ago, that dives deep into the history and the the impact of one man, Jesus of Nazareth, and all of the different arenas and and all of the scope of his impact. And so I'm really excited about about this journey together. Um, We are going to be selling these books at the Connect Desk, although um, if Saturday services took most of them already, so there's only a few left, but we also have the link. I online on our website and uh, on our app so you can just get it via Amazon. We're going to order a bunch more of these next week so you can get this. I would love to encourage as many of you as possible to grab this book and read it as we go through this series. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite books. It's one of my top recommendations um, because whether you're a skeptic, an atheist, an agnostic, or you're searching, you got questions, or you've been in church your whole life, there's so much in this book. In fact, this is one I reread just about every year because it just helps me even further appreciate and understand who Jesus was. And so I brought a shovel with me because um, what I don't want to do for the next five weeks is come here and tell you what the book says, tell you what the Bible says, and tell you what you should do with it. But rather, I came to invite you to bring your own shovel into your personal time with God, to bring your own shovel to church the next five weeks. And what we're going to do is we're just going to dig together because if I tell you what this means to me and I tell you what you should do, that has some maybe little value in your life. But if you come and you dig and you discover for yourself new gems of who Jesus is and his impact on society and how he taught and the way he taught, calls us to live, that will have potentially an eternal lasting impact. And so uh, the shovel is just a representative that, that rather than just come, let the pastor tell me what to do, we're gonna come do some digging on our own. And so, um, and, and the second thing I wanna say is, Everybody has already asked, where can you get this shirt? Um, So, we will be selling these shirts also at the Connect desk next week in all sizes. Yes, it's a great workout shirt. Um, So, you know, for those of you who wear Christian shirts, that's awesome. I think some of them are too, a little too foo foo, but Jesus was no sissy, so I can rock this shirt. So this, I think this more adequately captures who Jesus is. So we're going to start this series, who is this man? I'll tell you this, we're not gonna cover the whole book. There's more in the book than we have to cover. We're not gonna only stick to the book. So some of you are going, well, why should I come to church if I just read the book? Uh, first of all, cause you need community. Um, second of all, you'll hurt my feelings. Uh, third of all, not, not really. Third of all, we're gonna cover more than just that's in the book, but I would love to journey together. So I wanna have this conversation. I'd like to start today, this conversation, and we're gonna continue to ask this question, who is or who was this man. And hopefully at some point, maybe this week, maybe week two, maybe every week, it will lead us to a second question that says, and what does that have to do with me? And what does that have to do with how I live my life? So to start our conversation, I want to pray and then I'm going to need a little bit of participation just for a second. God, I pray that you would use this service. You would use this series. um, You would use this this research um, to help us just get a greater picture and appreciation of who Jesus is. Um, God, I believe that you want to speak to all of us. And so um, we're ready for what you want to say to us in Jesus Name, amen. All right, so as we start, I need every If you can, grab your phones real quick, get out your phones. This will just take one second. Get your phones. Um, all I need you to do is grab your phones and look at if, if you can just touch the screen or whatever. Like, four of you are doing this, okay? Whatever. Um, get your phones to look at the date. What's the date today? Sit so, okay. okay. Hold on, hold on. I went to school to be a teacher, so this is your, your channel. I said to a large crowd what's today? And here's what I got back. Six. Six is not an answer. So let's try this again. What is today's date? Uh, There's Okay. October 6, 2019. Now we're getting somewhere. See, now now I can go further in my notes. This will be great. October 6, 2019. So anytime most of us, we have our phone, one of the first things you see is the date, right? October 6, 2019. So my first question is this, 2019 years from what? the birth of Jesus. Now, time hasn't always been marked by the birth of a carpenter from Nazareth, but for about the last 2019 years, it has. In fact, if you read at the beginning of Jesus' life, it'll say that G- he was born in the time of uh, Quirinius, the governor of Caesar, and Herod, and Caesar Augusta, in the fifth year of the reign. They were marked at, in Jesus' day. Time was regularly changed and marked by who was the most powerful man in history, yet for the last 2019 years, we've kind of globally settled on this one Jewish carpenter from the Middle East that may or may not have anything to do with how we live our lives. You can't look at a calendar, whether you realize it or not, without being reminded of this man. Uh, I've been married for going on 15 years. I'm from Nebraska, but ironically enough, we took our honeymoon to St. Petersburg, Florida, right? Just up the road from here, uh, St. Petersburg, which is a city in Florida, our state, named after Peter, who was a follower of Jesus and whose life was radically transformed by this man named Jesus. We also live in the state of Florida, where there's a St. Augustine, where a man whose life was changed by Jesus had an impact on the world. Uh, Bobby and Cindy Grosso are from Sacramento, California, where we took our team for a leadership conference earlier this year. Sacramento, capital of one of the largest states in our country. Sacramento gets its name because Jesus one night had a meal with his friends and it becomes sacred and holy. And we called that moment a sacrament or a holy thing. And now we have Sacramento. So not only can you look, not look at a calendar without being reminded of Jesus, you cannot look at a map without being reminded of Jesus. This morning, in fact, I was reading the news about Cape Coral. And, and why is Cape Coral? Why is there a Cape Coral? Oh, okay, nobody knows that really. That's... Um, <laughs> I don't know if that has a connection to Jesus, but you can't see a map without being reminded of Jesus. The impact of his life is so deep that his birth remains the most widely celebrated birth of all of human history. And we don't even know how to measure who's second because it's not even close. The instrument on which he died, which was a cross is arguably the single most recognizable symbol in the world. It marks more graves It adorns more jewelry and is in more art than any other expression in the history of the world. So for a second, let's forget religion. Let's forget for a moment whatever you think about maybe Jesus's claims of divinity or our claims of his divinity, and let's just consider just for a minute to start the conversation. A man who was born, who lived, who died, and let's try our best to look honestly without prejudice his impact on the world and and the impact that he left after his death. And I believe when we do that, we have to ask the question, who was this man? There's an interesting quote from a historian from Yale. His name is Yaroslav Pelikan. And he says this, regardless what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the most dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries, which is fascinating if you think about it because the most dominant figure in the history of Western culture was a Middle Eastern carpenter who never set foot in the Western culture. Just, just from a historical standpoint. In fact, Pelican goes on, this Yale historian goes on to say, if it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull out of that history, every scrap metal bearing a trace of this man's name, there would be very little left. And so if we think about him, if we, if we think about Jesus at all, we have a tendency to think about it in our little lives, our little church, our little part of the world, which there's nothing wrong with that, but we possibly fail to recognize his impact globally and throughout history. And so it's like we're so up close, we can't comprehend the impact he's had. So for the next few weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna step back And we're going to try to look at the big picture, the broader scope, possibly be overwhelmed, possibly be challenged, possibly be delighted, possibly be surprised at how God has shaped our entire history, not by the church and not by Christianity, because God knows we've gotten it wrong as much as we've gotten it right. Amen. That's a good place for an amen. Starting with Jesus's own followers. But we're going to look at how God has shaped our history through this one man called Jesus of Nazareth, again, regardless of prejudice of what his claims may or may not be to his deity. So let's start with just some obvious things. Let's go back into the time when Jesus was born. Rome was the the main world power. It was the Roman Empire. Caesar ruled the world. Herod was very powerful and rich. If you were to go back into that time in history, it would be hard to choose a less likely candidate to change the world. Almost nobody was there when Jesus died. Fewer people went to his grave. And Caesar, who was the most powerful person in the world, didn't even know this man, Jesus, even existed. Jesus was not a political figure. He had no office. He had no connections to Herod, the Sanhedrin, Rome, or Caesar. Jesus led no military action. And here's what's really fascinating if you dig into history. In Jesus's day, there were at least 10 other messianic movements in Palestine of a leader claiming to be the Messiah, the savior of Israel or the savior of the world that ended the day that their leader died and the movement and their leader was immediately forgotten. Jesus never wrote a book. And what's fascinating about it is his followers were relatively uneducated, ridiculously unimportant, Terribly small, in fact, the New Testament, which is what they wrote about themselves and about Jesus, records his followers as being unschooled, ordinary men. Yet, as insignificant as it seemed at his time of his life and his death, 2,000 years later, it's nearly impossible to imagine... A world history without thinking of him his life and the impact he's had and i hope that for some of us it will illuminate the impact he's had on arenas in our life and in our world that we don't even exist if you're if you're a fan of chi- uh, children or if you feel like women should have rights or outsiders should have rights or you believe education should be taken care of or compassion is a real thing we're gonna look in the next five weeks about how all of these things originated with this crazy radical movement of this dude named Jesus of Nazareth who was really good at building houses and tables and chairs. (laughs) In fact, he gave the world its most influential movement. As much as it's got it wrong, the church has been the most influential movement in the world in the last 2,000 years. Imagine for a second the world with no church. Imagine no Notre Dame. Imagine no St. Paul's Cathedral imagine no storefront churches in urban settings, no satellite campuses, no house churches and underground churches in China, no Peter, no Paul, no Timothy, no Aquinas, no Augustine, no Francis of Assisi, no Mother Teresa, no Martin Luther, no Martin Luther King, no Diedrich Bonhoeffer, no Joan of Arc, no John Calvin, no John Wesley, John Bunyan, John the Baptist, John Ortberg, no Billy Graham, no Fellowship Park. Fellowship Park is the name of our park at our church, by the way. Nobody seems to know this. Like I'm 0 for 3, swing and a miss. Like that park that you have to walk through to get to this building, it's called Fellowship Park. In fact, The very beginning of the idea of a church was a concept that nobody could grasp because in the ancient world there were nations, there were families, there were ethnic groups, there were guilds, there were tribal religions, there were schools of philosophy, schools of thought, but the church was actually none of these. It didn't fit into any of these categories and literally nobody knew what to call it. In fact, in those days, in the ancient days, in the days of Jesus, you were known and recognized by what set you apart and what made you unique and and what identified you as as different, not by what brought you together. And so this idea of the church didn't fit into any of these schools of thought, philosophy schools, thoughts of religion, guilds, tribal religions, anything like that. In fact, Paul, who is one of the originators of the church, who, who knew Jesus, met Jesus, in Galatians 3 he writes this, which would have been... Revolutionary isn't a big enough word for what, this, what he describes in Galatians chapter three. He says this about this idea of this follower, this following of Jesus, and what it meant to be included and what it meant to be a part of it. He says in chapter three verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized or submerged, in, submersed in, to Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What he's saying is you've kind of traded in your old religion, your old guild, your old family, and now you've clothed yourself with Christ. And this is the part that gets crazy. Nobody had ever said anything like this until Paul wrote this. Now, he says in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, Paul wasn't trying to make a political statement about sexuality or gender identity or, or, or nationality. What he's saying is there's a new idea that there's something that brings us together, and never in the history of the world has there been something that brought us together, like this idea of anybody who places their faith in Christ. We're all one together. Now, they used to be known for what they were, set, that they were set apart for. Now there's something that Paul is saying We're known as, as, as being brought together. Now we live about two and a half hours south of the most wonderful place in the world, the most magical place in the world, right? Disney World, right? And so uh, there was this really famous ride at the World Fair that Walt Disney thought would be a great thing to bring to Disneyland and Disney World, and it's the ride called It's a Small World. And it's one of those that by the time you get off of it, like that song is stuck in your head and you want to pull your hair out and you're like, ah! And, and it's a small world. And the idea was, you, you know, you get in this thing and you go around and you hear the same song, but you hear it in different languages and it has a little bit of a different flavor music and they're dressed a little different and you keep going around and you're like, oh, it's over. And then it's not, there's still another culture. And then, oh, and then you take, you make another turn. And you're like, oh, this must be the end. And then no, now it's the African area. And then, oh, now it's the islands. And now it's the Hispanic. And it's this idea that the same song is being sung in many different languages with many different flavors, but they're singing the same song, right? It's a small world after all. Don't sing it, some of us are gonna get stuck in our head. Where did this idea originate? It originated with a guy who said, actually, the world is a smaller than we think. And there's a place where everybody can come together of every gender and every nationality and every status. In fact, let me ask it this way. Where before the church was there ever a movement that actively and intentionally think about this actively and intentionally sought to include every single human being, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, status, wealth, gender, background, education. Where before the church was there an idea of, hey, rather than let's talk about what separates us, let's actively and intentionally include everyone and for the, for the purpose of to be loved, included, and transformed. So let me just say as a pastor, as much as the church has gotten it wrong and we have gotten it wrong, I'm I'm compelled to give my life to following a Jesus who was about bringing people from every race, tribe, tongue, and nation together for the sake of being included, being in love, and being transformed by the love of God. I'm all in. As messed up as it is, I'm all in. In fact, here's how crazy this is. Before Jesus, not only had there never been a community like this before, there had never even been the idea of a community like this before. Nobody had this idea of let's bring people together. It was always about let's identify ourselves by what separates us, and we still have this challenge today. In fact, what's beautiful to me is as I look around this room right now, I see it. I see different colors. I see different nationalities. I see different ba- backgrounds. I see even different languages. Every weekend, there are people that come to our church that their first language isn't English. It might be, uh, uh, it might be Mandarin or Cantonese. It might be Spanish. It might be German. It might be Ukrainian, Slovakian, Russian. We have one of the top things I love to brag about my church, and I brag about you everywhere I go, is I say every weekend I get to stand on stage and I get to see a picture of heaven. Because we're multiple generations, multiple ethnicities, multiple genders, where every strong tribe and nation, we come together. I mean, we have black, white, brown, Asian, Hispanic, young, old, uh, male, female, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. And, and this is a picture of heaven. And... We, what's cool to me is we don't even think about it. It's just what it is. It's just what it is. We're used to it, but this was a completely radical foreign idea 2,000 years ago. If you would have projected this, that, hey, this is gonna happen someday, there's no way anybody would have called this. And why? Why do we do this without even thinking about it? Because 2,000 years ago, a carpenter in the Middle East said, I think there might be a better way to live and treat each other. And that's why we're here. Who was this man? That's pretty profound. He has his mark on history, history itself, and the way we date our calendars. In fact, have you, ever, have you ever looked into why New Year's Day falls the way it does and Christmas is marked the way it does? Because we know that Jesus probably wasn't born in the winter. Back in Jesus' day, it was custom that when a baby was born, they would take the first eight days to dedicate them, and then on the eighth day, after you were born, you would come to the temple, and you would be given your name. If you were a boy, you would also be circumcised, but you would be presented to the Lord. So you would be born, and then on the eighth day, you would be given your name. The reason our calendar is set up the way it is, whether we celebrate it this way or not, is December 25th was meant to be the remembrance of the birth of a Jewish carpenter named Jesus on December 25th, and then 26th, 27, 28. 29 30 31 january 1st the eighth day is meant to be the day where we remember that a boy named jesus was brought to the temple and given his name and that's how we came up with january that's that's awesome that's fat i mean every time i tell that story like the the hair in my arms comes up because jesus is he's so much more in our lives in our calendars in our times in our history than we would ever wonder how who is this guy Even the idea of progress. In the ancient world, there was no concept of progress. There was no question of will the quality of life and will the hope of the next generation be better than it is for this one. In in the ancient world, they just thought that life kind of came and went and ebbs and flows and there were cycles and kind of basically that cycles, life and time was was in these meaningless cycles. But it was Jesus who introduced this idea of a loving God who had children that were, the, the people that were on the planet were his children and he was leading them somewhere. It's called history, it was his story. He's telling our story. And the idea was that God is leading us somewhere else. Another idea that's that's fascinating. I mentioned that when Jesus died, almost nobody was there. When he died, when he rose again, almost nobody was there. In fact, he lived in a time that um, he he lived and died and Caesar never even had a hint of his existence. Yet, one of Jesus' followers, whose name was John, he wrote a letter on an island called Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 17, he refers to Jesus. Ready for this? as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now again, in those days, calendars were marked by the most powerful man in the world. Yet for somebody to suggest that Jesus was the King of all the Kings of Nero and Caesar and Herod and the Pharaohs and the Lord of all the Lords would have been laughable. You'd have been like, people would have been like, who, like, who's that dude? Israel, Nazareth, what? Like, you know, this is the Roman empire, right? He's called that. It would have seemed laughable at the time that he had that title of over all the lords. Yet, here we sit in 2019, and Nero, powerful leader in Jesus' time in, of history, if I were to give a history report on Nero, I would have say Nero died in the year of our Lord, 68 A.D. Joseph Stalin died in the year of our Lord, 1953 A.D., Napoleon died in the year of our Lord, 1821. All these most powerful men in history all died in the year of our Lord. So it turns out maybe he was the king of kings and maybe he was the Lord of lords. And this is so strange because nobody... And I mean, nobody would have predicted Jesus and his little ragtag band would have outlived the Roman Empire. If I said, take all of your life savings and you have to, if I would have could take you into history and show you what was happening and said you have to put all of your future in your life savings, you can either put it on Jesus and this little group of misfits or the Roman Empire. You would have gone all in on the Roman Empire because Rome crushed Jesus at the time. Nobody thought anything of Jesus yet. 2,000 years later, we give our kids names like Peter, Paul, and Mary, and we give our dogs names like Caesar and Nero. (laughs) Who was this guy? His life is completely inversely backwards because any man who had, or any woman who had any amount of power or history, the climax or the pinnacle of their leadership, the pinnacle of their influence and their following was typically at the moment they died. And do you know what happened as they died? Their followers fell away. Think about it. Caesar was the most powerful at the time of his life, and there are less followers and less followers. Hitler, there's not as many followers of Hitler now as there were the time he lived and the time he died. Napoleon. Napoleon a Pharaoh, it doesn't matter. Yet Jesus had almost no followers when he died and almost no one knew him, and he has gone the other way. And now 2,000 years later, there's more followers of Jesus throughout history than any other person who ever lived. In fact, history, historians believe that there have been over two billion followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, yet there were two ladies at his grave and almost nobody was there when he died. It's completely backwards. Nobody else in history was a nobody when they died and their movement grew after they died. It was the other way around. He changed how we arrange our time. Israel was the only nation in this time that had this idea that once a week we should stop all of our work and rest and celebrate and remember the God that created everything. And so this was a, 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 a custom in Jesus's time, but then it was the followers of Jesus after he raised again, they said, let's meet on this Sabbath day and let's every week, let's come together and remember the resurrection because it's the most powerful thing that's ever happened. And that's why we have Sunday as the first day of the week where we come and we celebrate and we remember this was their idea. Jesus absolutely shaped what compassion looks like in our world. In ancient Greece and Rome, it was the strong and the beautiful and the noble and the powerful that were admired. Life in Jesus's day was literally a race for honor and status. The weak, were, the weak and the marginal, the marginalized were not valued, especially if they weren't a part of your tribe. Children had no value, in fact, they weren't sentimentalized at all because they were just a lot of work. I don't know if we've come a long ways in that regard. I heard a story recent of a man who uh, was taking his two small children on a plane ride across the country. It was him and his wife and their two children, and they got put in the very back of the plane. And these kids were young enough that it just made the plane ride no fun for everybody. There were all kinds of sounds. There were all kinds of smells. There were kicking, you know, of the chair. And this was a long plane ride. And as time went on on this plane ride, everybody who could had moved as far up into the cabin as possible. And these two children were just doing their thing to the chagrin of the parents going, every second felt like an hour going, when will we be there? And these kids were just it was just not a fun time. There was nothing they could do about it. As the flight was coming to an end, a man turned behind them and he said about four rows up. He says, Hey, are those your children? And he said, yeah, they are. He said, I would love to have two kids. And he said, Oh, you haven't been able to have children. He said, no, I have five children. I would love to have two children. (laughs) Again, I don't know that we have come a long ways. Yet there is a book written by a Norwegian author about when children started to matter as human beings. In fact, the title of the book is called When Children Became Human Beings, The Influence of Christianity on the Children. See, here's the reality uh, of Jesus's day in in, in every, basically in every culture, except for maybe Israel, is that if you were poor or you had a child who was deformed or you were an unwanted gender, anybody want to take a shot at what the unwanted gender was in history? Girls. Girls, right, not right, it's just how it was. You were just discarded and it wasn't inhumane. It wasn't lack of compassion. It's just the way it was. In fact, in the days of Jesus in the early ancient worlds, they said that for every 1 million boys that were born, approximately three to 400,000 girls died due to exposure and discarded. It was, they were just left to die because they were unwanted. It was a normal practice that if you didn't want your child or they were weak or abnormal, you could drown them at birth and nobody thought anything about it. It sounds inhumane to us. Do you know why? Because a guy named Jesus changed the rules of compassion and who it should be extended to and who matters and at what age and at what time. In fact, Jesus was the one who said, let the little children come to me, to the disdain and displeasure to all the adults in the room, in that area, in the time. In fact, that he would put his hands on them and he would bless them. And the adults thought that they were, that Jesus was wasting his time, his energy and his blessing on the children, which was radical enough, but what was completely absurd and unheard of was to hear Jesus say, actually, here's what my kingdom is like, and he says this, unless you can become like a little child, you cannot enter my kingdom. This would have been unheard of. This would have been absurd because those same children were discardable. They were drownable. They, they didn't become adults until they could add to society. But a few years later, it was followers of Jesus who the ones that said, because of this movement of Jesus, we should set something up to take in unwanted children, whether they belong to our tribe and our nation or not. And those are where orphanages came from followers of Jesus. In the days of Rome, if you were a widow, you had to pay a fine because you were a drag on the economy if you had the gumption to outlive your husband. (laughs) Yet Jesus is the one who said, we should take care of orphans and widows because they matter just as much to the heavenly father as Caesar Nero and the president. They would throw out their sick people as well as get rid of the unwanted. They were the ones that would, if if they didn't want to drag the economy, they didn't want to empty their resources, and so sick people would just be thrown out to die. Yet a man named St. Benedict in the fourth century was the first person to ever start this thing called a hospital because there was this movement of Jesus born out of compassion that said we should take care of everybody no matter how their quality of life is. By the sixth century, monasteries were built and they would have hospitals attached to them because there was this idea that we should have compassion on all who are weak, even if they don't belong to us and that became a widespread idea throughout the world a few years later at the geneva convention there was an idea that became an organization to alleviate all human suffering and they chose as their emblem a giant cross to put in the middle of a flag and now we know them as the red cross World Vision, Compassion International, Salvation Army, St. Jude's, the list goes on and on. All movements of compassion and taking care of people, rooted out of a movement by a carpenter from the Middle East who never stepped foot, never held an office, never held a government position, never led a military army who said, I think there's a better way for us to live and treat each other. Who was this guy? And what implications do his impact have on the Western and Eastern world since he lived? He had a profound impact on education. In fact, in the old Jewish law, there was the law that said we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. Jesus came and he helped understand better. He introduced the idea of let's love the Lord our God with all of our mind. In fact, because children matter, now educating them mattered. And it was Augustine, a follower of Jesus, who said all truth is God's truth and we owe it to our children to begin to teach them God's truth. So churches were the first places to begin to build schools. And then they became universities. In Paris, in the 12th century, the first university popped up. Then Oxford, then Cambridge, all started and founded by followers of Jesus, which then prompted universities in Rome and Naples and Vienna and throughout the world. And in fact... The movement to explore science was birthed by a a bunch of followers of Jesus. What plummeted the exploration and the emergence of science was this medieval insistence that the rationality of God, that all things were created by God, a God of reason and order. And so to discover those reasons and discover that order and discover how he does things is to discover more about this God himself. It led to the rise of science. I'm not saying it wouldn't have arisen anyway, but I'm saying it was Christendom that where our desire to understand how the world works in science came out of. And by the way, speaking of education, take a shot at which university in the United States that this statement comes from their student handbook originally. This is written in their student handbook about what they believe to be true about education and God. Let's see if Jesus had an impact on education in our early years. Let every student, it says, be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well that the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Which, by the way, is a direct quote from John 17, chapter, chapter 17, verse three. And therefore, the student handbook goes on to say, to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Guess what school said that? Harvard. And then Yale adopted it and brown. In fact, 92% out of the first 138 colleges and universities in America were begun by followers of Jesus with that idea in mind. I'd say we've maybe fallen away from that a tad bit. But who, who, it was all because of a, a carpenter from Jesus who valued education and science and children and learning and said, let them come to me and everybody matters that this idea was born, now the gospels are translated in over 2,200 languages, and there is no other book that comes close to the Bible as far as how many manuscripts there are, how many languages it's put in, and then it's widespread around the world. Why? Because the story of this man just won't go away because he is the man that just won't go away. People ask me often, are you worried about where America's heading? Absolutely, are you worried for Christianity? No! Because if I were worried for Christianity, that would mean I would be worried that Jesus didn't know what he was doing. And while it's not going well in America, if you go to Africa or you go to China or you go to some of these South, uh, South American countries, the church is exploding with hope about this man named Jesus. The comfort gospel hasn't hit third world countries yet. We don't even have time to talk today about the arts. We probably will a little bit more in one of these other weeks. But without the arts, Jesus had more of a profound impact on the arts and music and, and, and painting and, and all than, than perhaps any other person in history. Without Jesus, there's no Martin Luther. There's no King James who, along with Shakespeare, shaped the English language. There's no Bach who dedicated his work to the glory of God, which means no hallelujah chorus. There's no Mar- Mozart Requiem. There's no Sistine Chapel. There's no Da Vinci's Last Supper. There simply has been no transcendent vision of reality that has gripped the artistic imagination like the vision of this carpenter from Nazareth. Who is this guy? Who was this man? Jesus changed political theory. He changed human rights. He changed our idea of justice. In fact, one nation even wrote this in one of their documents, their founding documents. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Our declaration of independence. (laughs) Yet, if you think about what it says, it says, we declare that it is self-evident that all men were created equal by their creator and have certain rights. This certainly was not self-evident to the Goths. This certainly was not not self-evident to the Nazis in the 40s. This certainly was not evident to any caste system in history or any society. It came from the idea that all human beings have been made by a good God in his image and for the purpose of being loved by him. In fact, Thomas Cahill says this is the first expression of egalitarianism in human history where all men are created equal. Jesus introduced this idea. Again, there wasn't just a group not doing it. There was never a group that had even thought of it that there is a God and he's a God of love, that this God is a God of love, has never been said by any other God other than Jesus. There's no other God, there's no other world religion that their God claims to just be this loving, grace-filled God who will do all the work so that you can come to, so that you don't have to come to them, but he will come to us. It isn't just history. The best part is it can become your story. Almost every day when I come home, the garage door goes up and if I make it into the door from the garage, uh, my daughter, Madison, who's almost nine. She comes running and says, daddy, daddy, daddy's home. So often she'll come out into the garage. If I'm on the phone, she'll like tip the cap and wait for me to come inside. Uh, or she'll come to the garage and often I'll pick her up and I'll hug her. And, and the reality is as she gets older and bigger and I get older and weaker, I'm not going to be able to pick her up forever. I'll always be excited to see her, but I'm never going to be able to do that. But see, there is one who never grows too old. There is one who never grows weary or too weak. And he's always looking forward to seeing and being with his children. A lot of people, they say that they believe in a God of love. You know where this idea came from? Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, his... His message of inclusion and everybody and children and women and education and getting rid of the caste system. In fact, this was his wor- This was his message. News got out quick. And in fact, that message, this idea got him in a ton of trouble with the powers of his day. So much so that the powers of Rome and the religious of the, that he belonged to decided it was best to just get rid of this guy because God knows where this is going to go. And so they had, they thought the best idea was to kill him. And so he went to a cross And there he died as the ultimate expression of sacrifice and love and goodness of this God that he claimed to represent. And three days later, against all odds, he raised again, and this movement arose with him and has been growing exponentially ever since the day he rose from the grave. Who is Jesus? I think you could make a case that Jesus is the hinge of history, that Jesus is the hope of all the oppressed, He's the inspiration of the despairing that he is perhaps the king of kings, that he is perhaps the Lord of lords, that he is perhaps the greatest teacher that ever lived, the greatest mind that ever thought. He he started the greatest movement that ever started. He offered the greatest gift that has ever been given. He alone mastered life. He alone conquered death. He alone became sin. He alone, alone destroyed guilt so that you could know your position in heaven. In my estimation, he is the son of God and he is the savior of the world. That's who this man is to me. but don't take my word for it. Because at some point all of us are gonna have to wrestle and answer the question, who is this man? And I've been on a 39-year journey of digging and discovering, and the more I discover, the more it profoundly impacts every area. It affects the way I spend money. It affects the way I'm generous. It affects the way I parent. It affects my marriage. It affects my leadership. It affects the way I interact with people I don't know. It affects the way I interact with people I do know. It affects the way I understand forgiveness. It affects the way I understand bitterness. It affects the way I understand revenge. It affects the way I understand so many things. And what I'm excited about, as much as I've learned, I think there's a whole bunch more I don't know yet. Because every single time I dig, I find something new and beautiful that enhances my life, enriches my relationship with God, gives me more purpose, more hope, more joy, and gives me an ability to live a life that I never thought was possible and inspire others to do the same. Who is this man? Might be one of the greatest questions that I believe we never should stop asking. And I'm really, really excited to ask that question alongside you for the next five weeks. Will you pray with me? God, I'm so excited for where you're taking our church. God, I pray that we wouldn't come to church just ready for a report, but that we would take advantage of the opportunity that we have this week to dig, to buy the book, to research, to, to dig into this question of who is Jesus and, 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 and take it one step further and go, what does this mean for me? And God, I pray that if there's anybody here who they're visiting or they're never coming back, that they would know that, that at any moment they can, they can place their faith in Jesus and your word says that, that, we're, that if we just confess with our mouth and believe that you're real, that, that we are saved and that we can become followers of you. Um, God, whether we believe you, that Jesus was a deity or not, I believe that there's nobody in history who's offered a better way to live and a better way to treat people. Help us to be the followers of Jesus that you've called us to be. I pray that we would dig and that you would, God, that you would reveal and help us discover things that are beautiful in your truth and in your word as we grow together these next five weeks. God, bless us, uh, keep us, watch over us, and protect us as we go into our weeks. And, uh, and God, I pray that we would just uh, add value everywhere we go in Jesus' name, amen. If you need somebody to talk to or you need prayer, our prayer room is open, otherwise you're dismissed. God bless you guys, we'll see you next week.